It's Amber Bradley, your host for the unscripted side of LP. It's Talk LP Podcast time. What's up, Talk LP Podcast fans? It's Amber Bradley, your host, here with Gianna Davis, Director of National National Investigations for Albertsons. What's up, Gianna? Hi, Amber. How are you? I am great. I should mention this episode sponsored by Bosch. To find out more about Bosch, it's in the show notes below. Okay, Gianna, super stoked to get you in the podcast hot seat because it's taken a while. You are a busy woman. You are very busy. So yes, it's only taken like five months. <laughs> yes. I was like on the, I was on my calendar today. I was like, finally, we're doing this. Okay. Uh, excited because you spoke at Apex last year and you turned what could be a super boring session actually, into something very interesting. So this is kind of a follow-up for that. And good for Bosch for being like, oh no, you need to talk about this on a podcast because it's all about return on investment. The old ROI metrics that everyone's like, Ugh. it's super complicated, but you made it in your session digestible and fun. I'm like, man, I might want to put one of these ROI things together. So want to talk to you about that. Um, really kind of walking through a, a little bit of the process on how you go about it. But first let's start with like why it's important. Cause so let me back up people listening to this all over the map, right? You got the VPs, directors, regional store detectives, all kinds of folks, which is awesome. Welcome. Um, but you know, let's start with the basics of why you feel in your career, like making sure you're equipped with ROI metrics when you're walking in to get that funding? Why is it so important? So I think when I started, and this goes back even as an in-store agent or AP associate, right? Um, or a manager that's just managing one location or multiple locations, you wanna make sure what you're doing, if you're changing a process or if you're changing scheduling or you're doing any of that, you wanna make sure there's a benefit, right? Because otherwise, why do it? So I think of that as an ROI in and of itself, right? So if I went and I changed my agents to schedule to be from, you know, work more on Tuesdays because we're seeing more theft versus a Sunday, I would want to track, are we making more apprehensions? Are we preventing? Are we getting more recoveries, right? So that's like a super basic ROI, but that's something that even an hourly employee can start doing now, right? And now in a current role, in a corporate role as a director, you know, we really want our teams to be as efficient and effective as possible and in this day and age, you have to have the technology to do it, right? So thinking about that, it's what technology do you want to go after? Um, what benefits do you think there is? And then really putting together, here's my hypothesis of what I think the benefits could be and how do you measure that, right? And then that's kind of the very first step in looking at an ROI. Then from there, I typically put together like a standard operating procedure for that technology before I even go to my business partners. The reason I do that is there's a lot of technology these days that there's privacy concerns, legal concerns. And if I already have a standard operating procedure that addresses some of their concerns saying, this is who's gonna have access, this is how they're gonna be trained, um, this is how we're gonna ensure that nobody gets access to it that shouldn't and that they're using it appropriately, you mitigate some of those concerns right in the gate. Um, so you can kind of push it through that process a little bit quicker. And then really, I like to use, um, I'll go to my business partners next, right? IT, legal, privacy, clear it through them. And then um, 
thinking about doing a proof of concept, right? And doing it for as cheap as possible because it's a proof of concept. And the, the really good vendors out there will support this because they believe in their product and getting actual ROI numbers from your company. I think that's super important. And it's one of the things I've learned, you know, you can get numbers from vendors to say, hey, this company saw this, but it's different for everyone. And when you go to senior leadership, they want to know how it's going to impact your business specifically. So um, going through that proof of concept and you already know how what you think your benefits are going to be and you're already measuring them. So that's really how I kind of think about ROI. It can be as basic as if you're an hourly or it can, you know, director or VP. Yeah, the proof of concept is interesting. So do you feel like in your role, you go ahead and, and pick certain stores and certain areas to do these proof of concepts before you make a case for enterprise wide? Or do you go and ask for the funding and then do a proof of concept? I'm just curious on a kind of the timeline. And I think probably solution providers listening to this are as well. Like what makes the most sense? Because then if you do it before you're armed with the data, but yep. if you're armed with the data and then they go, we don't have funding for that. Are you nuts? You know what I mean? Yep. No, I've done it both ways and it depends on, on the part of the year it is, right? There's been times where I'll request capital funding and go into a POC at the same time because I have the next fiscal year coming up. And if the, if the POC goes well, I want to have the money for it because worst case scenario, you know, the POC doesn't go well, and then you don't use money that you already had approved, right? Mm. Um, so I think it depends on the situation, the time of year. In a perfect world, I would like to do the POC first, because when we think about an ROI, it's really important to look at where is the money coming from. So if it's capital funding from corporate, that's not going to impact the store locations, divisions, regions, whatever you want to call them. Um, but if it's OPEX, the stores actually operational expense, operational expense. Yes. Thank you. That will actually hit their P and L. So I want to know exactly what their ROI is going to be before I sign that store up to say, they're going to get $5,600 back every month, you know, because you don't want to put them in that situation where they're not going to be successful. So I think doing the proof of concept first and establishing the ROI is important. And when you, when you think about where you're choosing, I always try and pick where's my most active, where's my least active, so I can say, okay, it's going to be worst case scenario, my least active stores, it's going to look like this. Best case scenario, my most targeted stores are going to look like this. Um, additionally, I like to use control groups. So if I pick a division, right, that's low theft, I'm going to try and do it in a district that has a similar district nearby that I can compare those two stores. The reason I do that is because one of the things we're always looking at is shrinkage, right? And especially in grocery, there are so many different factors impacting shrinkage that it's important to know, is your, is your system working or isn't it working? And how do you take out all the other things that impact shrinkage, right? Like in grocery, even food spoilage impacts it. So having control stores is nice because you can compare the shrinkage of the ones that you have the tech in versus the control group that don't have it. And it may be that you saw an increase in both, but did you see a slower increase in the group that had the tech versus the other group, right? And that can still show that there was an ROI that was shrinkage based. So those are a few things that I think about. 
Yeah, and you have to use you try using the control group example. Like you'd have to use ones that are at least similar in lots of other ways, right? It's not like, oh, okay, I'm yeah. gonna pick one. So the obvious comment. I'm gonna pick one in like the best neighborhood, one in the worst neighborhood, right? I mean, that's 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 a really good point. What are other key components that you think, okay, I'm not gonna pass the mustard if I go up there asking for funding if it, I'm not looking at these things. Yeah, so to your point, when I'm picking a control group, I will most of the time bring in my merchant partners. And the reason is they know the customer base, right? So I want a store that same size and scope. So it does about the same amount of volume. It has the same type of customer. I'll look at theft trends. Does it have similar theft trends? I think there's so many variables when you're picking a control store. Like I'm not going to compare a Chicago district to a district in Boise. That's not a good control group, right? I'm going to compare something, maybe a district in Montana versus a district in Boise, but what's the customer base? It all depends on, on that as well. So bringing other partners in that have other perspectives. I mean, you have your merchants who have planograms. They put different things in different stores, and they already know a lot of those details to help you pick those control groups. Um, so I think that's imperative. Bringing in your shrinkage partners, so we have a really good um, shrinkage group within our operations division and just making sure that they're in the loop and they're supporting you. They're way better with numbers than I am. So I always lean on, uh, you know, the people that are better at things than me. Um, so kind of pulling in different business partners to help support it and think about it a different way than maybe somebody from asset protection would. Yeah, those are key, definitely key, because I... I I don't know because I've done it, but I do know from talking to other people that when they they go into that C-suite and they're asking for, you know, funding and, and you guys have a few stores, right? So it's certainly not low numbers that you're looking at, but, right. you know, it's, are those some of the first questions that you get, right? It's like, okay, well, who else did you work with on this and what other people? Because it sounds like when you go in, you've got like, oh yeah, you know, this person, this person, this person, like, how does that go? I think the first thing they ask is what's the impact going to be to the business, to our associates and our customers, right? So whether that's numerical or it's safety. And of course, when I'm looking at tech, safety is always number one, but I want to have numbers that can fund the tech as well, right? Because it's hard to put a number to safety. Um, so that's the first thing they'll ask. And I will say the second thing is when you're thinking about senior leadership, you're not just going to your senior leadership. You're going to senior leadership of the company who oversee other areas. So if you've already worked with the merchants and you've already worked with legal and you've already worked with privacy and you've already worked with all these people that are already on board, now their boss's boss, they already know about it. You can say, yep, they've signed off. We're good to go. We've filled in some basic protocols to help with any concerns, et cetera. It's going to be a lot easier. So number one is always what's, what's the numbers, right? Um, number two is always, if you already have those business partners, then it makes it a lot easier because they are going to ask you, did you already get all these sign-offs? So this is a huge question. Like you mentioned safety, which is so important. I think even it's always been, but especially these days, when you think about the increase in crime, increase in active shooter events and things like that. So how do you measure things that are prevented, right? And then put that in this ROI analysis. So... I think safety specifically, so safety preventions, you never know what you prevented, right? So that's one that's a little bit more difficult. You can compare previous incidents, uh, you know, previous year's incidents to if you ran a, a proof of concept, a year would be a really long proof of concept, but you could compare quarter to quarter over the years. Um, 
really it's going to be the numbers. One of the things I like to use is uh, litigation incidents and then the value of those. So if you're able to work with your legal team and kind of go back and see, okay, which one of these resulted, let's say a slip and fall or something to that effect, right? Which one of these resulted in litigation? How much should we pay out? And then comparing those numbers to the numbers while you're running your, your proof of concept, you could potentially get a safety, an actual number related to safety, right? Or you could see, okay, our number of incidents of threatening behavior went down from this to this. And we compared it when we were running this technology in our store. So that doesn't necessarily give you like a numerical ROI, but it does show you, yes, there's a safety component to this. I will tell you, most of the tech out there is is going to help with safety as well as help with shrinkage and recoveries and other things. If you're thinking about preventions like shoplifting preventions, that's a lot easier um, to track because if you track each incident um, when people come in and they don't steal and they're known offenders and it's because of the technology you're running, that's an easy one. You just count up the dollars every single time they don't walk out with whatever they used to walk out with, right? Yeah, those are some really good ways because it's almost like the safety is a given, right? If, and and then yeah. you've got all of the other backup. If the backup's right. making your case, then great. Um, so what are you, when you're putting together the ROI, I mean, and you said a year would be a super long proof of concept. Like what is ideal, do you think, to get the numbers that you need? Because I'm assuming you're extrapolating out long-term. This isn't like, oh, by the way, company, you know, this is just a quick win and then that's it. I mean, if you're especially technology, you're looking at rollouts and yep. complications. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so in a perfect world, six months would be amazing. Now, most vendors do not want to do a six month proof of concept. Uh, so worst case scenario, I would say the minimum I would ever do is a 90 day proof of concept. And the reason I say that is at least, you know, you have three months to go off of, um, which is close to a quarter and you can at least show, okay, if we had this in this corner, you could extrapolate what it would look like on an annual basis and then extrapolate from there what it would look like. Um, the hard thing with a 90 day pilot is especially with technology, you have to get everything set up and working and functioning all at the same time as you're trying to use it and build an ROI, right? So it's super important to know how you're going to track that ROI, how you think you're going to get benefits from the system, because it's going to take time. And, you know, think about your people in the field, like this is new technology for them. They have to learn how to use it. They have to learn how to be consistent with it. It's, it's a lot to handle. And so, you know, it's a daily conversation um, our field asset protection director, directors are amazing. They, you know, when, when we run a pilot and they support it in their division, they're on it, right? Like they're talking to their people every single day, but really planning ahead and knowing, okay, this is going to be part of the process. It's going to be hard to build an ROI in, in the first couple of weeks because people are learning. If you can get the vendor to agree, let's get through all the training and the onboarding and then have a start date for the proof of concept. And then the proof of concept runs for 90 days best case scenario. If you can get them to do up to six months, even better. But I would say between 90 days and six months is kind of the sweet spot. So some solution providers, I would say, you know, and I, you know, this pilot thing is an interesting point because some solution providers think about a pilot and they're like, okay, well, we will, we're happy to pay for that, right? To kind of put it in and, and clearly, duh, right? They want to prove out what 
what yep. they're saying is going to happen. But some of them say, look, there are retailers out there, not you, of course, I'm just saying that say, oh yeah, we'll do proof of concept. And they have no idea whether they actually could get the funds. Now I'm putting on the solution provider hat because that's crap, right? Where they're like, you know, they're, and I'm sorry, but there are people known in the industry to where they'll, they'll proof of concept anything. They don't care. And when, when they have no real intention of ever going through the process that you're describing to get the funding. So I've heard of solution providers saying, okay, well, point of proof of concept, these folks also need to have some skin in the game, right? Whether yep. it's the labor to put that in. Do you find that, like, do you guys do that to where you will put some skin in the game to, to let the solution provider know this is serious? And I guess less about you, because you guys are clearly a sophisticated operation, right? You have a team, you have a great leader in Elisa, like you got you got your stuff going on, right? There may be smaller folks that don't, right? And they don't even know the protocol. I don't know. Yep. There's, I don't know what the question is in that, but go ahead. <laughs> no, actually, I think that's a great question. And I think, well, number one, if you're a retailer, don't test things you don't think you're going to use because you don't want to build, you don't want to build. Who has build time up. for that? Right. Like it's, it's a big effort. So number one, don't do that. Number two, for solution providers, um, ask how they're going to use it. Ask what their investigative method is going to be. Ask how they want to track the ROI. And I will tell you, a lot of the vendors I've worked with, they they will stand side by side with you and say, hey, here's how we track ROI. How do you want to track ROI? How should we shift this? Um, I think that the solution providers can figure out how serious a retailer is by the back-end work that they've done. Have they put together a standard operating procedure? Have they thought about training? Um, have they made you go through the, the privacy um, assessments? Have they made you go through the InfoSec assessments? Um, because all of these things take time and time is money, right? So if the retailer is putting time in, especially at a director level or above, they're probably going to try to get the, the funding if the solution is successful. Um, so I think for the solution providers, that's what I would look for. I would look for that. That shows me that you're serious. That shows me that I've already gotten through most of the gates. So if I can give you the ROI that you're expecting and you want, great. I've already gone through privacy. I've already gone through legal. This should be easy. You just have to get the funds um, and have those conversations up front. And really for the retailers, you know, the vendors have been through a lot of rollouts. So if you're not sure on how to track ROI or what the process should look like, lean on your vendor partners to say, hey, here's where I'm at. Here's where I need support. What are your thoughts? What have other retailers done in the past? Or reach out to your retailer partners. I mean, we're always happy to have these conversations with people and, and support one another because, you know, in asset protection, we're, we're one team, whether we work for a different retailer or not because it's just the way we have to operate or we're not going to be successful against these bad actors. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're all on the same team and trying to decrease theft and keep our uh, employees and customers safe. So let, let's talk about really quick. Um, what clearly you weren't an expert at this right when you started, right? So I'm curious about what are some misconceptions or like lessons that you've learned along the way or heard about, not to say that you made any mistakes, but heard about along the way that, you know, hey, if you're putting together an ROI matrix for your C-suite, don't do this. <laughs> so I make mistakes too, and I will own them. So one of the things 
in my opinion, you never want to go to the C-suite with is this is going to save on investigative time because guess what they come back with? How many people can we cut? Yeah. Right. So you don't think about it that way. You're like, oh, no, we can work more cases. We can work more cases and more investigations because we're getting time back. But the way they see it, it's like, oh, OK, we don't need as much headcount. So number one, don't do that, in my opinion. Um, you know, that that is a savings. So maybe that works for some leadership. But that's one learning that I've had. Another learning that I had, especially uh, coming to Albertsons, is there are so many different business groups that have to be a part of these decisions. And so really finding out from the people you have a relationship with, who should I go to next? Who needs to look at this? Because if I go to InfoSec, they're going to say, oh, yeah, you know, you probably want privacy and legal to look at this, right? And if I go to privacy and legal, they're going to say, oh, you should have ethics and compliance look at this and government affairs look at this. Like, there's so many different groups that have to be a part of these decisions, especially technology that's um, that's out there that that may track personal information or that kind of thing, right? Because there's a lot of concerns with it. So um, that's the biggest learning I've had is there are business groups that I wouldn't have thought would have needed to be involved that do need to be involved and at least for me going in with an investigative time savings is not my best bet can i have that as kind of a number five on my benefits list yeah but it's not something i'm going to highlight because i want to keep my head count with anything i want to show this is going to generate so many cases and so many investigations that i need to add right yeah good points for sure okay so Tech solutions, I'm going to put you on the spot. Like, are there any that you really feel like best ROI that you've seen? I don't know. Say a vendor, don't say a vendor. I don't know. Bosch certainly would appreciate it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Bosch is a wonderful sponsor. We love you. And uh, I know you guys work really yeah. well with Bosch and they've been a great supporter of you guys. Yeah. But any tech solutions that you feel like, you know, the best ROI that you've seen or that you're even considering now, if you could... If you could say that, if you can't, we totally understand. <laughs> um, so I would say right now with the amount of organized retail crime that we're seeing and the fact that we know our top offenders are also our violent offenders, any type of technology that helps you identify your top offenders, that helps you identify and aggregate incidents that you weren't aware of before, those are gonna be the best. So when I think about that, I think about license plate recognition. Um, that one does all of that. I think about image recognition or facial recognition. That one's huge. And then um, there's a new one that tracks IP addresses um, offered through AT&T. I don't know what other solution providers offer it, if any, right now. But those are kind of the top three I think of right now. Because the biggest thing is, even when going to a DA at this point, they're like, okay, yeah, we'll support you. Give us your top 10. <laughs> okay, well, how do you... You know, like in the past, we we didn't necessarily know who our top 10 were. We were just apprehending people. But at this point, you know that they're causing 60 to 70% of your loss. So if you can go to a DA with your top 10 and get them prosecuted, that's huge. And you need the tech in order to be able to do it. So those would be my top three for that. Yeah, because when they say, give us, give us your top 10, they're talking about like, he was in our store 10 times. Here's the yep. facial wreck or face matching that showed him there, right? Yep. Where in and, and potentially a match or whatever. Yep. And I will tell you those three technologies, I haven't used all of them, but I'll say from what I have seen, they are phenomenal at saying, okay, you had one incident. Well, now you have 50, right? Because you're going back and it's telling you, oh no, 
that license plate was in all these stores this many times, or that person was in your store this many times, or that IP address was in your store this many times. And you're like, what? You know, that would take hundreds and hundreds of hours of video review if you were even lucky enough to see them coming in, right? So, I mean, I think those those three technologies are just huge. And talk about the benefits, really going after that, that 10%, not a lot of work. Well, it is a lot of work, but it's not as much work as trying to catch everybody, right? Yeah. And you're going to get a 70% return on your investment. So um, that's kind of the way I look at it. And in, in this day and age, that's what I really want to go after as far as investigations externally. Okay, last question on this part. Um, advice for solution providers when they're like talking to you about whether it's the ROI conversation or the point um, proof of concept conversation, like advice, you've already given them a ton of advice through this, but anything specific that comes to top of mind for solution providers? I think sometimes solution providers come with a, a preconceived notion of what the ROI should look like. The ROI for every company is going to be different. It depends on who's in leadership what do they want you to speak to? Are they more focused on safety? Are they more focused on numbers? And so relying on your business partner and listening and, and letting them say, no, I think we should leave investigative savings out, right? Um, maybe that's how they want to do it. Or um, looking at it a different way. Don't come in with pre preconceived notions. Come in with advice. Here's how people have done it before. But but be able to um, you know change direction based off of the feedback of that company, because I do think that ROI is kind of flexible and it's going to, it's going to differ from company to company and really who is in the leadership, who's in the SLT at that company, because it's going to be a different conversation based on this. Yeah, that's a great point for sure. So, okay. Sidebar on the ROI conversation. I thought I, I, this is totally unplanned, unscripted, but you know, clearly, especially as a woman in the industry, you know, there's not a ton of you up at that uh, upper level. And, and, you know, Albertsons is led by Lisa Dart, which is awesome and does a great job. But curious, you know, from your perspective of leadership lessons, right? Like things that you have lived by or come to mind, or you're like, you know, the thing that has gotten me through my career up to this level at such a large company um, would be what? I'm just curious. Like, I always love this question to my guests because it's always something new and different and interesting, <laughs> but it's like getting in the mind of someone that has, you know, clearly, uh, span the ranks here. Right. You know, there's lots of people out there listening to this. They're like, man, if I could get to director level at that larger company, that would be my goal. Like, what would you say as advice? Focus on your people. So it's what they accomplish, not what you accomplish, right? So um, giving them the tools and teaching them and working side by side with them, you know, you hear a lot about servant leadership, but it's true. I mean, if you're, if, you're in a, if you're a manager in a store, you should be out there with your people at least a few days a week. Yes, you have meetings and you have these things, but working side by side is so imperative um, and just being there for them and, and being personable and, and being real. If you have to have a tough conversation with someone, I want to have that relationship with them where they're going to say, thank you. That was feedback. That, was, that wasn't, you're not dragging me down. You're giving me feedback to improve. And if you don't have a personal connection with that person, they may not take it that way. Constructive feedback is hard, but it's necessary. Um, and I think, you know, Elisa is an amazing leader, but 
she's real, right? Like if, if she feels like you need to improve on something, she's going to tell you. And I feel like working side by side, being a servant leadership and just being real and honest with your people and focusing on your people. Because if your people aren't successful, you're not successful. doesn't matter what role you're in, right? And honestly, it feels good. It feels good to help other people get where they want to go and be successful. Um, you know, playing sports my whole life, it was always a team thing, right? And we weren't successful without one another. And it's the same being in a leadership role, but it's a little bit more difficult because you have to lead, you have to show through example. And so that's kind of my perspective. Love that. I love that. What sport did you play? Soccer. Oh, nice. You played in college, right? Yep. Yeah. I think we had this conversation, the whole collegiate athlete thing. <laughs> that's awesome. Okay. Last one. It's super personal. Um, Great. <laughs> yeah. Again, no preparation. That's how we roll here. Unscripted side of LP. Um, if you weren't doing this, right? What I'll give you mine. Everyone knows if you listen to this, which is it's a it's an absolutely ridiculous thing. Because if you know me at all, I would totally fail at this job, but only because I don't have a nose for politics. It would be the White House press secretary. Love that. Like PR was my bag, right? Like early in my career. So would love White House press secretary. If you know me at all, I would have been out in politics because it's so cutthroat. I'm not cut a cutthroat kind of person, obviously. So that's mine. But all right, what would what's yours? What would you be? So when I was going to school, I really, really wanted to be a forensic um, scientist for like the FBI. But I fell in love with asset protections. It never happened. So I would say that. But now that I've gotten older, to be honest. I probably want to be like a farmer or a rancher. Is that not hilarious? <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I'm serious. If we're That's awesome. Real, yeah. Outside with animals all day. Just, I, I think working with your hands and just being out in nature, just that's my happy place. So I, I think when you get something about getting older, that everything comes like back to nature where you're like, that's my Zen. It's kind of being like, yeah. on a hike or something. Isn't that weird? Like, it seems like, okay, it's a, we're all connected. I don't know. We'll sing Kumbaya after this, but (laughs) Gianna Davis, thank you so much for stepping into the hot seat. We really appreciate this is a, you break down a boring topic in such a a interesting and digestible way. So I really appreciate it. This is some phenomenal uh, content here for the folks. Thank you so much for having me. It was fun. And thank you to Bosch, our sponsor for this episode. Find out more in the show notes. They are phenomenal. You can find them at Apex this year too. If you want to uh, invite to that, let us know. Executives only. Gianna will be there. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Follow us at TalkLP. Wait, no. Twitter's Let's Talk LP. LinkedIn, the group. Don't miss the announcements. You're crazy if you don't download the app too. It's so crazy. There's so much going on. It's crazy. All right. Thanks so much for listening, watching, and we'll talk at you later. See ya.